Hey everyone, welcome to episode 14 of the Convergence Podcast. I'm your host Siddhartha Valuri and this week I got a chance to talk with fine artist and illustrator Tiffany Mang. Her vibrant art and amazing brushwork is something that's fascinated me for a while now. So it was really great to be able to get deep insights into how she has developed this process over time. And we also spoke about her experience working on Loving Vincent, which was the first ever fully oil painted feature length film and That was a really unique experience so getting to know how that process went along was quite fascinating so i hope you guys enjoy this episode and let's go hey yeah we're recording so once again tiffany thanks for coming on the show really glad to be talking to you and I really want to get deeper into your journey in terms of how you've started and essentially when I look at your work now I see an artist who has a lot of confidence in their brush strokes I think that's something that really stands out to me and I want to know like oh, you're welcome I want to know how long of a journey is it to get to this point when you start painting to somebody who's this confident in terms of their brushwork and paint strokes Oh, well, first of all, it's really cool to hear that you think I'm confident in my work. Um, that's not always how I feel most of the time, to be honest, um, but it's interesting to see always how people um, like perceive my work versus how I felt actually painting it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I mean, for me, I think in terms of the journey, I think it's never ending for me because when I feel I mean, definitely in my journey, I have, um, I know the, the like the year, like kind of rough timestamps of when I was like, oh, like this year I, I could feel myself uh, understanding this more. And then the next year I could feel myself understanding this more. So if I were to look back on my journey, I think 2018 was the year when I started evolving a lot, especially in my gouache painting. I don't know if you're talking about my gouache and my digital, probably mostly my digital, but um, because to me, I do most of them, uh, you know, two of them a lot together, mm-hmm. sometimes one or the other, but I would say 2018 was the year where I started figuring out a lot. Um, I started painting at home more, slowing down and really like ruminating my process more. And um, that really helped in sort of figuring out, I guess, yeah, like who I was as an artist, what I really was attracted to and my uh, process. And I guess the style kind of came out from that. And if I look at all my work before, it was like, who am I? I don't know. Like I, I hate all my work before. So my organization like folder, I have like 2017 and then 2016 pre because all that stuff is like complete shit to me. Sorry, I don't know if it's cussing a lot. Uh, that's, um, that's fine, that's fine. Edit that. Um, and then 2018 was I started caring more about cataloging. Um, in terms of digital, 2000, yeah, I would say like I don't know. It's so funny. I don't. I feel like my style is always evolving, more for digital, I guess, than gouache. Well, for both, but I think confidence is sort of. I don't know. It's sort of so fleeting for me. It's not something I think I try to achieve because, to be honest, one day I'll feel more confident and and some days you know sometimes if I'm doing a painting and it starts off 
good and then it turns like oh my gosh I'm so frustrated and then that confidence for me is kind of it goes up and down it's kind of like for me sometimes I have more motivation on some days than others because I get a lot of students ask me like how do you get the motivation to work so I feel like confidence is not really the thing I search for there's a lot of I know a lot of people like how do you get confidence in your paintings and for me it's more it's like searching for that perp like the once I have feel like I have conveyed what I wanted to convey in terms of like story or expression in my painting, mm -hmm. then that confidence comes uh, with it, if that makes sense. Sometimes yeah, I don't even think it makes sense. No, I, I guess yeah. you're touching upon a good point. It's almost like the deeper you understand the subject that you're trying to convey, the more confident you can be while painting that, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. So the confidence comes from that because honestly, like a lot of times, like the paintings that I do that I personally like, it's funny and I post them on social media, it's the ones that like never do good. And that's, and and other, like there's a few that I'm like, okay, I know this, like people will like this, but most of the time my personal favorites are never the public. And that can obviously affect your confidence, especially in this time, you know, in social media, it's like the way you put your artwork out there. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, you know, I'll be like, oh, I'm just not a good artist. And then I'm like looking at other people's and, but then I can't let that get to me because that will affect my artwork so in the end I know that I have to just be true to my voice and that's what I strive for first and then I think the confidence from that comes from that and also ties with intuition and a lot of other things and just this yearn and this want for constant I'm like I feel like I'm never settling it like once I understand something like okay I want to push for something a little bit more in this aspect and so I, in a sense I feel like I've never settled and it's exciting and stressful sometimes but it's for me I I, I like that because I'm definitely it's part of my personality I'm just not a person that settles like some people are like oh I have this job and I'm here and I'm good and this and that and for me I'm like I'm constantly kind of moving so I think it's also part of my personality as well yeah that's almost like a double-edged sword right people who want to constantly keep improving always have this additional pressure that you're putting on yourself essentially to keep getting better at a faster and faster pace. Do you struggle with that? Yeah, you mean like it's, it's great but stressful to say? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, you know, it was like I was talking to, not to be my brother in this, but like, for example, my brother and I are like pretty opposite people and like, and, and like, you know, he has, he's totally different from me. He has a good job, you know, he's in um, IT. We're totally opposite in terms of studying, mm -hmm. but he's perfectly happy, you know, spending the rest of his free days, you know, playing video games, like on off days. And I like, and when I look at that, I'm like, I just can't, I, I feel like I'm always thinking about the next step. So yeah, it's stressful because I cannot ever settle and it's a double-edged sword, but in the end it's, I think it's really rewarding, you know, um, and I enjoy that a lot. Yeah, that's true. I mean, over the years, as you see your artwork grow, then it starts showing the benefits of putting in that effort, I guess. Yeah. And in terms of your question, I feel like I didn't really answer Like, how do you gain that confidence? I, I didn't. I, sorry. Let me just go back to that because I felt I felt like I say confidence is not really my goal, but I didn't answer how to get that confidence. I would say um, I say this like all the time. I would say like just fail. Like literally, that's a short term. Right? I tell like failing is the only way you will learn get out there, take risks in art, outside of art. It's like every time I do like a interview or an article piece, there's always a question like, what's the number one tip you tell art, pe art you know, people, readers reading this? I'm like, don't be afraid to take risks and 
and fail because when you when you fail but then you problem solve it's not like just fail and then be like oh I suck and blah 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 it's like you fail but then you problem solve right to get on on the other side of the threshold when you do that that's how your confidence grows because you're like oh I know that I have achieved or you know overcome this or solved this and I and I can use this in my you know toolbox or arsenal arsenal toolbox to, to 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 you know solve the next problem that comes you know but you know, if you never know how, if you can do it or not, then obviously your confidence is going to stay right here. Your only, it's not even confidence. You're only like staying in your comfort zone, you know, but if you, if you constantly push yourself, then that's how, you know, you know that you can achieve new boundaries. You're always trying to push those boundaries and that has something to do with confidence, I feel. So to, to answer your question, I would say that's, I think that's my outlook um, on that that shapes my confidence. Yeah. If I, if that's what you think, <laughs> I, yeah, I, mean, I have to have a degree of little confidence. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, was this something that was taught to you by somebody or did you just figure it out on your own as time went on? To be honest, I was reflecting a lot back on my art journey and I, I mean, I took, so, you know, I took lessons from uh, like six years old to all the way to college. Oh, wow. Um, okay. um, like, like those, you know, those basic, like, you know, art school and you like copy things from other, you know, artists and you're doing mm -hmm. like beautiful charcoal. Dry. So I was like trained in that, you know, and also play piano, you know, like your parents make you do all that stuff. And so I was, you know, in, in the creative aspects for, you know, since a young age. Um, but in terms of digital painting and gouache painting, I, I largely taught myself that stuff. So I didn't do any gouache painting till like third year of college more. Um, so I graduated in 2014. Uh, and then digital painting, I remember I, I self-taught myself with painting with a mouse first. And then I took one class at Brainstorm. I took James Pig's class, not really stupidly. His class was too advanced for me at the time because <laughs> I had, and so I was, it was, I just had to reel back and I took a few classes there, but then I think, I think largely in terms of painting, it was just experimenting a lot a lot and like my style is completely evolved I have a set of illustrations that if you look at my Pinterest you can probably I have like two Pinterest accounts if you look at one of them my old one mm -hmm. I have like all my old illustrations I don't paint like that anymore at all I just it's totally evolved from that a lot of people compare me to Pascal I was really influenced by him I wasn't trying to copy him but I really liked I was, I resonated with that. And so I naturally sort of gravitated towards that when I was painting. Now I don't paint like that anymore. And I'm focused, obviously, I know I want to add more characters in my paintings, but I focus primarily on landscapes. Um, so it's evolved since then. Um, wait, I forgot your question. What was your question? <laughs> oh um, yeah, it, how did- It was basically about like that aspect of failure and stuff. Did you learn it from somebody or kind of oh, figure yeah, it out so, on yeah. your own? Oh, no, on my own, for sure, I would say, yeah. So, like, I think it's just different, all these different experiences that I've taught you, you know, not just, like, working on a painting, but, like, so many different aspects of life, like traveling, doing different competitions, this and that, and getting out of that and expanding your worldview, I think all contributes to that. And I'm a big proponent of that. So it's, like, I think traveling is a really important part of an artist, not just, like, seeing new references, but, like, meeting people and, like, and because you never know what you can learn from that, right? And I think I think it's really important because it's really easy for artists like be in their little bubble. And for me, I'm more of an extrovert. So I like to travel naturally and go out and see the world, but it's not just because I like to do that, but I learn so much from like 
meeting new people who have like taught me so much reading is a big part of it um I've got a lot of my lately like my new like perspective and kind of approaching things from reading a lot of non-art books actually uh funny one of my favorite books is called Siddhartha by Ehrman uh essay yeah I like um I love all kinds of books um even like from finance books to get more about that to self-help to like fictional to philosophy and all that stuff so reading is a big part and I only like took that up and more so in 2020 um but it's definitely been a part of my routine now that has helped shape my mindset in painting and I think I didn't so realize that it wasn't so much the act of painting like that's part of it I would like the mindset which I approach it largely shapes how the painting will turn out because if I'm and it can evolve during a painting right but if I am like if I approach a painting where I'm open to new explorations and possibilities versus if I approach a painting like I need it to be the style and I just and I'm and you're closed off already it tends to be a little bit more strained than if I approached it like all right I don't really know what I'm doing but I'm going to brace what I am, you know, the, all the possibilities and all the failures that might happen and whatever happens, I, at least I will, I know I will learn something. And then when I do that, I actually, you tend to be more experimental, more free, and you can see that in your strokes. And that's how to me, how it translates into my strokes, because I'm not trying to conform or to adhere to a certain way. So I think mindset is really important for me when approaching. It's not like I meditate, I, I can't do that, but it's like just knowing and being mindful of where I am in my space at the moment uh, is really important. Yeah, I think that aspect of reading a lot of different, from different fields is quite important because in my experience, the really good artists that I look up to generally are drawing inspiration from a lot of variety of sources. It's not just <laughs> art alone. There are like so many other things to learn from. So I, yes. I really, really like the fact that you're reading from finance and self-help and a whole bunch of other things. And yeah, yeah it's interesting. Like, you know, like I have, you know, when it comes to inspiration, you know, public people know I actually draw most of my inspiration from fine artists because I come from more of a fine art. I mean, background, I started, you know, taking classes, you know, with, you know, all the, I don't know what you call it, like the traditional studio classes. Um, and, but then like people I've met along the way who have like helped shaped my art, I guess, like they've introduced me to new artists. And then, um, so I, I, you know, I, I, I largely think those people, like one of my friends, Corey, he's the one that was like, you should look up this guy, you should read about this guy. And he helped shape my visual library in that way. And I've, you know, studied artists who are like indispensable. And like, I have like a top five, where like, I always look up to them. And they're all, they're all fine artists. Um, funnily enough. Um, uh, I mean, I obviously have a lot of digital artists that I like to, but when it comes to like drawing immediate inspiration, it's, I think I'm a little bit more attracted to, to, to finer in a way. I don't know why. Um, but, you know, if people ask me, like, if I were to paint, if I had to choose one of the alcohols, it's hard, but I think I would still choose gouache painting just because I love the physical aspect of holding a brush and mixing the paint but I love both as well they're just both different ways of expressing yeah. I think it also ties into the fact that you like traveling quite a bit and then that plein air painting aspect of it ties in quite well with gouache yeah there's just nothing so thrilling I just came back from a trip to Paso Robles and I did um they're all small paintings but I did like 14 paintings in two days so it was like oh, wake wow. up at eight and then me and my boyfriend just like drove drove um, and I'd be like, I want to paint here. I want to paint here. I want to paint here. 
oh, he was so patient and just helping me set up every single time. Because I there was so many times I just wanted to stop by the highway, which like totally we did at one point, and all these cars were like whizzing by us. And he was like standing to protect me from the wind because my easel kept almost falling over because the cars were coming by so fast. I've actually I've never done that before. I painted by a highway. There's many times where I wanted to stop. And I'm by myself, I'm like, no, I'm too scared or maybe one day, but um, you know, this time it was, it was fun. And to be honest, I didn't like any of my paintings except for one, the very first one I did, I liked that one and all the rest, if you were here watching me there complain, sometimes, sometimes it looks like, you know, I, I, I am confident, but to be honest, sometimes when I'm painting, like you'll just, oh, just want to give up right now. I just like, that's my internal battle with me. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm always like a happy go, you know, like, oh, you know, no matter what, just put, like, obviously I'm a person and I have my shortcomings. And there's so many times where I'm like, damn it, I hate this, I hate this. No, I just want to stop now. And then, and then, and then, and then he'd be like, I'm going to say like, no, no, push through. You're going to do it, go. And sometimes it helps to have someone. And I think that's another big proponent of it, surrounding yourself with people, you know, that can push you because you're just a person and sometimes you need that someone you know your small group of people so that's another really important thing I've realized you're only well you know not only just as good as the people you surround but you're definitely can be better by the people you surround yourself with and so I learned a lot from that trip even though I didn't like my paintings and I'm very open about that you know like I didn't I just I honestly I hated every one of them but I still posted them even though I'm like this is not I don't think I could do better and I was honestly rusty because I hadn't planar painted in a while, like in a month. And so for me, it was, I just still learned that for some of those paintings, I hated it at first, but I, I still learned that pushing through, I was able to get it to something that was okay. Like I didn't love it, but it was like, okay, man. But I always hated the start of every one of them. And usually I like the start of my paintings and I hate the end. And this time I hated the start of them and I got it to somewhere that I kind of liked more. And so that was itself a learning experience for me. And I thought, and, I, and I'll remember that because when I feel that I'll be like, okay, like, you know, you know, just, you can just do it, just push through a little bit more. And so I use these experiences as, mm-hmm. as that. And old me would have been like, I, I hate this trip because I didn't do any good paintings. And therefore it was a complete failure, the whole trip because I, I didn't do any, that would be me. And then I turned into complete bitch. Like, that's how I am. Like uh, my, my painting affects my mood, which is really bad. So I turn it, I flash it on the person closest to me, whether it be my family um, or something. And so that's how my art would affect me. And in, in the past, um, and, and then and then around 2019, 20, I was like, no, this has to change. Like, I can't just be in a bad mood when I do one painting. That I, don't, I don't know if you can relate to that. Can you relate to that when you're like, you do a painting you don't like, and then... No, not at like, all. I mean, for me... Oh, I, I'm just weird. I know. No, I'm no, just- no. <laughs> I, I think I'll come to that. Uh, it's an interesting point that you brought up. What I feel is that in your earlier version, so to speak, maybe you had still not gotten over the point where you were kind of getting detached from the work so you were taking each and every artwork so personally that if it failed even a little bit you were going through that negative emotion but over the years as we start painting far more then each individual piece starts meaning less and it's more about the overall growth as an artist so for me it's the same thing now so for me design is more important than what the artwork looks like and so if the painting doesn't look good yeah it doesn't matter oh so so for you design is really important and it's more important Sometimes the outcome. Yeah, I think that's kind of how it is. Too. Like, it's like whatever 
you, you know, whatever little thing you, you know, you figured out in the painting, sometimes that's more important than the outcome. And I think mm -hmm. that has helped me, you know, like, not to be so, like, sometimes I think it's so important not to be attached to your paintings, like, because yeah. you know, you do one painting, and then like a week later, you'll probably do something better. And again, that's a double edged sword. It's like, should you spend so much time? And then, but then it's like, in a way you can use it to progress because it's like, you like, okay, this is good. But then I know, or this is okay. But then I know I can do something. And it's just like, to not be too attached to something that I've learned. So um, it's interesting to hear how you approach it. Too. Yeah, I think you touched upon an interesting thing earlier where you were talking about the starting of the painting feeling good versus the ending of the painting feeling mm -hmm. good. And my key takeaway from that was that no matter what the feeling is, it's important to finish the painting first and only then yeah. think about whether it's working out or not. Because too soon, especially early on, we tend to stop the paintings or artworks midway and we never know whether it'll actually work out or not that's a really good point if that's yeah that's that's really good because sometimes it's like you like the initial spontaneity of a mm -hmm. painting that's what happens to me it's like oh i like i like how this is building up i like the the energetic you know strokes or or the gesture that i the essence that i caught and then usually for me at a certain point it gets too tight or i'm losing that original spontaneity and then mm -hmm. or, and then the rest of it is me trying to find that but a more finessed way. And that goes, what you said kind of goes, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Cause you like the scary thing is for me, it's like a lot of artists do stop. They're like either out of like, oh, I don't think I have the skill to finish it or they're scared or they like how it is. And they think that it can't be pushed more, you know, for whatever reason. I, I told, I talked to my friend once and he was, and I was like, Corey, how do you, how do you know when a painting's finished? And he's like, well, first the painting will talk to you which is something I didn't understand back then. But now I understand a lot more now. It's like, if you let the painting, that's actually one of the quotes I want to push on my Thursday tip, but if you let the painting speak to you, it will. And I understand that a lot more now than I would have done like two years ago. And then the other thing was like, he's actually, it's actually important to over overwork the painting. Uh, and I was like, what? You're crazy. Like, what do you mean? No, it's not because then you, then you, then, then you overworked it. And what if, you know, it's like, you know, digital, it's like you can control Z and save different versions. But you know, I was talking about, cause he's an oil painter. I was talking about like my gouache is like, what if I just lost what I liked before? I'm like, I'm like, that's crazy. And then I didn't understand it until I recently when his, his quote just like came back to me, like a voice. It's like, it's so I'm like, oh, I get it now. Cause it's like, it goes back to the same thing. Like you you never know, you know, like what you could achieve until you've almost pushed yourself over the edge, right? Yeah. And then the worst case scenario, you know, you you problem solve and then you can't get it back. Although a lot of times you can if you just slow down and figure it out, right? And the best case scenario, you've solved it. And then you but and then you've also learned how to, you know, when when is overworking or when or how you could push your painting, you know, to the next level. So and the worst case scenario is like just a painting and then you can do another one, you know? So again, it goes back to like detachment in a way. So I thought that was really interesting going off of what you said. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, kind of just building on that, how do you gauge whether the painting is a success or failure in your eyes? Like what are the parameters? Is it just about the shapes or the story? How, how do you gauge that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, for me, I think it's, like for example, the, the latest piece I sent you, like the one and done on heavy paint, um, that like for me, it's it's when I feel like I squint and it reads well, obviously from a thumbnail. So like I'll step back a lot of the time and and make sure it's reading. But then when up close, 
when I feel like a harm that there's a harmony in the shapes and that I put down, whether it, you know, whatever marks it may be. And I feel this harmony that, and I've also built up this intuition, I think where it's like, okay, I know, I know that's that, but a lot of times it actually takes to overworking and I, I overwork my pieces a lot and half, and then the last half is actually me dialing back and simplifying certain things. Mm -hmm. So I know that like, I'm like, okay, that was already too much and I don't need that. And then I'm dialing back. And then usually that comes to the point where I'm like, okay, I think this is good. Cause I know that that area is pushed too much. doesn't look good. And I need to bring it back. But for me, it's, is my work, I don't know, I consider myself, it's, it's, I don't know what you call it, it's impressionistic, it's not like super rendered or detailed, you know, I'm attracted to that stuff, I'm, I, I like, you know, because I'm a painter, you know, as well, and so for me, I'm most interested in how these kaleidoscope of shapes are working together to magically create some readable painting, and also when I think that I've achieved the color shifts that I've wanted, um, you know, the color temperatures, the color shifts to, um, to, to express the, the story, you know, whether it just be in a landscape. Um, to me, a finished painting, I have like a hierarchy. And so I ask myself, okay, is there an area of focus in the painting um, versus if, if everything is too detailed or there's not enough detail. So with that actual painting, um, I don't have a name for it, but I guess it was just inspired by Paris and mountains. It actually started off as me wanting to do quick color studies for gouache paintings, larger gouache paintings I wanted to do. And then I, and then I got more into it. I actually did three paintings that day. I sat down and I did, I did that, that one was second, another one first. And then I did that one and another one. And then this one, I started it. And it was a lot more crude um, when I thought I was done. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I was like, this is, this is okay. Oh no, I think I started the Saturday. I can't remember. I, th I think either in that morning, oh no. So I did it, I think on a Saturday. And then I was like, I'm bored now. I need something else. And so I and so I stopped. And then taking breaks is like the best thing because you see so many more things when you come back to it. Like it could be like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour. I, I can't remember if it was the later in the day or the next day. I can't remember. Either way, I took a break and I thought it was pretty much done when I took a break. And I was like, oh, when I come back, I'll just maybe make some tweaks. And then, um, and then I came back and I ended up working it for one more hour. And then from that initial thing to whatever I took it to in the hour, it was like a big difference to me. It was, it's weird. It's like, I added a lot of little things that are not drastic, like subtle, but all of them accumulated made really a big difference. So that makes sense. Yeah. I think those and are the final that. touches that kind of tie the piece mm -hmm. together essentially. right? Yeah. And I was toggling and I was like, wow, like, what if I just ended it there? Like it wouldn't have achieved its, you know, what I wanted to. And so like taking breaks and just coming back to it, it's just lets you see like, you know, a new fresh lens. Um, I think, did I answer your question? I feel like I don't, I, I don't I even remember what the question was anymore. I, know, but I, that's, just, that's, I just go off of one thing and then I start no, talking. That's, that's perfectly all right. <laughs> um, but um yeah, I think those moments are like what I remember. It's like when, when you think you're done and then you like push yourself just a little bit, those are the moments I remember most. If someone asked me like, what are the paintings you like the most? It's those kind of paintings where you're like, you, you think you're done, but then you just push yourself a little bit more and then you put, and then you found something mm -hmm. new. And it's not really the paintings where I breeze through where, it, although those are nice too. Um, that's the ones where I struggled with, yeah. So um, you had mentioned earlier that you had studied like traditional fine arts in, in college. Um, the people that you studied with, your classmates and such, 
did they also go on and kind of delve into digital art as well as fine arts or were there very few people who kind of split both ways I don't think so I think honestly I don't keep in touch with any of my classmates so I don't know um but um I think I kind of took on that unique route I don't think anyone else did not that I know of but for me it took a while for me to find that voice and this is where I still feel insecure about because I'm like I feel like I have one foot in the fine art industry and another foot in the animation, but I'm not super big in animation and I'm not super big in fine art. And so that's my, actually my biggest insecurity where sometimes I'm like, should I just focus on one? And, but I can't, cause I love both. And so it hasn't really been until 2020 where I got started getting more notice in the fine art industry. Like I made more connections with, you know, a lot of painters there and then in animation as well where you know I freelance and stuff I work mostly more in commercials and stuff and a couple feature films and some cool like I worked on Sean Mendes's album latest album Wonder and stuff but I feel like sometimes I'm so stretched that like in one or the other it's like I just feel like I never have time enough to like do the pieces I want and then work here and teaching as well and running my own business so it's been it's been tough um yeah yeah i mean these are quite a lot of uh, various hats that you're wearing and i kind of want to dive into each of them in a bit more detail yeah, we'll take sure. it sequentially so let's start with the fine arts side of things i know you've done a couple of gallery shows uh, how has that experience been like yeah it's actually i've actually i think i counted i've been like 23 shows so that was like oh wow um, yeah and in 2000 because so i put on my resume i was like how many shows i've been in i'm really bad at documenting this stuff i was like i had to because Put on my resume so I sort of like a fine art more resume now and then um more for illustration and stuff for other other work but um yeah it started in 2019 when I left my studio job as a concept artist at um uh 3d projection studio and so we were creating a lot of projections I don't know if you're familiar with that no, um I'm, I'm not maybe you can just briefly explain what that was yeah so basically if I can it was um basically it's I don't know if I'm explaining this technically right, but you create artwork and animations that are projected onto like a huge facade. It could be a building, it could be a wall, it could be oh, okay, anything. Okay. And then it changes the building into something totally different, you know, I through see. animation. The building could look like it's crumbling down. You know, you're transforming the building. So 3D projection, lots of technology. I worked at a studio called Bot Cresta Studios. Um, I think actually I didn't, I've worked on this a little bit, but I think we worked on the wedding of the richest family in India and they wanted oh. some crazy projection. Yeah, so actually a lot of my team members, one of my best friends, I met her, she's, I call her my Polish sister. She's been to India like a few times working because you have to be on site working at night because you have to test out the projections at night, right? Because mm-hmm. um, that's when they, but yeah, we worked on, I worked on HBO uh, season, no, sorry, HBO Emmys party. I did all the projections for that. That was fun. And then we worked on the season seven Game of Thrones premiere party that was projected on the Disney concert hall. So they're fun. It was really fun projects. But I just after I come back from loving Vincent and being surrounded by like a bunch of fine artists, I just I was like aching to paint. And so like I wasn't happy. And so I went back home, got a studio with a couple of friends. And that's when I started applying to um, gallery shows. And that, and that was all new to me. Like mm-hmm. I had no idea. I remember it was a big learning curve because I had never done that before. I had, I was like, what's the steps to apply to a gallery show? And so apparently there's a lot of listings on this site and you had to like, you know, learn how to take good pictures of your artwork and apply to this. And I was, 2019 was the year where 
I think I was just really, um, I, it was almost like sowing the seeds for now. Whereas like more people come to me and they're like, hey, would you like to teach your workshop with us? And this and that. It took two years. I don't know if that's short or long. 2019, no one came to me. I was asking, I was knocking in the doors of every person. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, like, I'm just, for me, it's like, if I, if no, if I, I'm going to find the opportunity and that's a big part of like, if no one comes to me, I don't care how it looks because what do you have to lose? They say no and whatever you move on, you know, um, no crybaby, you know, attitude at all. You know, I don't, I don't believe in that stuff. So, you know, I, I was, I was asking like, you know, different, um, uh, art supplies stores, like, Hey, can I teach a workshop at your place? Um, and, 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 you know, someone said, no. And someone said, I, at the studio, I asked if I could teach gouache painting classes. So I ended up teaching gouache painting classes there. And that's how I sort of built up my resume for teaching. Um, I did like four planar competitions where I actually got to travel. So I combined my love for traveling, teaching and, uh, painting. And that's when I found out, okay, I really want to make a career out of this where, um, you know, I, I love teaching. I, that's when I found out I really love teaching. So I went to like, the Caribbeans, I went to Georgia, I went to London, I went to, um, uh, not Florida. I was going to go to Florida, but I had to cancel that. Um, Oregon, um, and Washington. So it was just really fun year where, and I was making money selling paintings and stuff. I mean, I wasn't making, I don't know if I was making a profit, but at least I was getting myself out there. Um, of course, living at home helps. So um, yeah, that, I actually that, wanted to touch upon that. Like as a fine yeah. artist, you need to essentially showcase your work and create a market for yourself versus when you're a commercial artist, you essentially get handed projects and you just need to execute them. What is the mindset mindset shift essentially that you need to make to be able to transition into that? fine arts industry yeah that's a really good question you asked really good questions then <laughs> honestly i'm still thinking about how to sell my art better i, I don't think i figure out how to sell my art mm-hmm. to be honest that's like yeah last year i mean um i sold i sold okay and i'm like i do oil paintings too those are bigger and they don't obviously sell as much to be honest i don't think i think most of my like income because like I think as an, a fine artist if you talk to people a lot of them teach and then they sell their paintings and they do workshops and they have like different streams of income versus commercial it's like you get this job and that's mm-hmm. done or you work at a studio and it's like constant you know check whatever for me it's different because I have I, I was really thinking about all my different streams of income and I would say selling my artwork is like the low one of the lowest I don't know why like I know people like my work mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest I don't sell that many originals I don't think I I don't think I my prices are super high. Um, and so I'm still trying to figure that part out, to be honest. Um, I think like, it could even be the other way around, you know, when a fine artist prices it too low, it has a different perception. I know. I, yeah, exactly. And so, and so I'm just like, like, like last year I did, I don't know if you're familiar, I did 102 by two wash paintings. Oh, no. And I was like, um, yeah, so I did, I, in, because of COVID, I, you can't go out. And so there's like this plain April thing. And it came, I literally came up with that idea at 3am where I was like, okay, I can't go out and I'm dying and figuratively. And so I was like, let me, let me connect with my Instagram followers, have them send pictures to me. Cause I was like, this is a way to connect to people. And you know, everyone's like lonely and stuff. And so they'll send me pictures and I'll do a painting of their picture, a little two by like two, two inches by two mm-hmm. inches. And then I'll post it, the original, the photo with my painting oh. and then have them in the post and so I did that for the whole month of April 
um, it started off as like me just doing two by twos. And then one night at 3am, I was like, I'm going to connect with my followers and do a hundred because I was doing five a day. And I was like, Oh, if I do five a day for one month, I can hit a hundred. And then I was like, that's my goal. And I'm going to do it. And I didn't think twice about it. And so I did it. And that was a really successful thing. And then I decided to sell them just to mainly see this experiment. And at a, at a, at a price of $25, I wanted to see if people would buy that because if I sell that at $25, I sell my six by sixes at that time for 200. It's like 20, 25 times nine. It's basically the same price, but mm-hmm. 25 seems a lot less, you know, in a way for a little cute little painting and people ate that up. And so I was like, okay, that works. But then no one wants to buy my bigger painting. So I'm like, what's, what's this? And I need to figure that out. It's so it's, I'm not a sale. Like I'm really not good at that. And so I've been actually taking marketing classes as well, or, um, reading books on how to sell your art online, how to maximize that. So I'm still figuring that out. Um, but it's definitely different. Like I get people who ask me, like, are you making prints of this digital painting you do? And I'm like, no, I'm not because I'm kind of done with that. Cause I've sometimes in the past, I made too many because mm-hmm. I used to actually do like art fairs and sell my art. And now I have, have a pile of prints that I, it's like old art I don't care about. And I just want to get rid of. And so I've stopped making prints of digital stuff. And I'm actually in the midst of redesigning a web, my website so that people can actually go on my website, click on a piece, and then they can choose how they want it printed on canvas, on paper. So I'm working with a printing company in that. So that's going to be my experimentation. I'll let you know if that's successful or not. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. So that's more like you're looking at print on demand essentially rather than having kind a of, Yeah, like, yeah, the printing company I work with, um, it took a while for him to convince me because because he was like, you know, I feel like you're not maximizing like he's like like your website because people go on my website and then I say if you're interested in, in this original email me at Tiffany Mang Art mm-hmm. that's already a step that maybe they're too lazy to do you know so I'm thinking if I put on my site you click on this piece you go you can buy in these available sizes the original the bigger or, or canvas print and you can choose canvas print um you know um uh, fine art print um you know whatever lots of choices I want to try to explore that area more. So this year is honestly a really big exploration year for me. And mm-hmm. I haven't launched it yet, but we'll see. So yeah, good luck on that. Definitely. Uh, I'm sure it'll go well. Yeah. Um, uh, I-, I wanted to kind of talk a bit more about that uh, selling the artwork or selling that prestige that, unfi- that a fine artist is supposedly required to have essentially, because the more well-known the artist is, the more it sells for and yeah it's interesting that you worked on loving vincent who was essentially unknown in his lifetime and became one of the greatest artists of history how was that experience for you oh man it was unforgettable absolutely unforgettable i mean that is the one gig that changed my life um like i don't think i would be where i am now if i hadn't worked on that film because it it after working on that film, well, first of all, I combined my love for animation and fine art. Wait, yeah. And so I was like, oh, I get to oil paint and work on a feature film. Like, how cool is that? And 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 just the whole experience of being in a new country in Poland, people don't speak English there very well. So it was like, I, you know, good thing we had a lot of other international people coming in to work on the film, like from all of like Spain, Ukraine, Italy, I mean, you name it, Serbia. Mm-hmm. And we had 13 people from the States total. Um, from everything from that to meeting people to being in a new country to working on the you know a film that's one of its kind it was a first hand painted feature film it was hard as like 
F, but like, it was just, it was, it was, but at the same time, it was so rewarding. And so like, I remember like, you know, you're in your cubicle painting the scenes, four paintings at the most, because depending on how hard your painting is, you know, a big, like two foot by three foot ish canvas. Um, and it can get depressing because you're like in your little room and you're kind of painting the same thing, you know, mm -hmm. depending on how much movement there is in the frame. Um, and so I like to move around a lot and, you know, I'm very active and I like to work out, but I found myself, I didn't really have time for that much. And I was out of my environment where I didn't have like my workout equipment or anything. And so finding new ways to combat that was sometimes it was hard, you know, like you're like, you're like, oh man, like, I just want to go out and also see Poland and stuff. And so I was using my weekends to really go out and paint. And so in a way like that, that year, even though I look back at my paintings and they all suck. And I even made a book out of it uh, from after called Aventus. I don't have any more copies. I sold them out, but I was actually more motivated to work my own work, even though I would like go to work at nine to six. I, I was painting from like, like 10, like nine to 2 a.m. And then I wake up for work the next day, but I needed to work on my own stuff because then I'd feel empty. Mm -hmm. So in a way I was like on adrenaline thing in Poland that sometimes you lose when you're like in the comfort of your home. Like, I feel like I'm like, what happened to me? Like, I'm not even as motivated as I was like, like, I don't know how I did it. I would wake up at like seven and but then sleep at two. And that was like every day, like inhaling oil paints and then like cooking and all that stuff. And then on the weekend, I'd be like, let's go here. Let's go here. And all my friends were like, no, I'm too tired. I'm like, no, you're coming with me. But you know, it, it's all that thrill of being in a, in a new um, environment. But it was, I mean, it was amazing. Also, when time. there's this uh, larger goal that everyone's working on to, towards together, that yeah, pushes yeah, you to do better as well. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it's a larger goal. You get to see what scenes everyone's painting on. Um, and it was just so cool. I remember in the beginning when I first went there, um, first you had to test for the thing. So like I flew over there mm -hmm. not knowing if I'd be part of the team or not. Right. And, and and so I flew over. Uh, how did you come to know about this project? Like, just take us I to the beginning of the thing. Because oh, okay. I'm not really good at searching stuff. Like, I'm terrible at searching for jobs. And, like, sometimes it's, like, a couple friends are like, yeah, you should apply for this. You should apply for this. But I'm, like, not on – I know I should be, but I'm not searching on LinkedIn or anything. So, like, my friend, I think he showed me a Facebook post. He's like, I think you would be good for this. And it was, like, they are like, calling for artists around the world, working on Loving Vincent. And they had just released a, like, prelim trailer. Mm -hmm. um, but nothing, I think, was kept in the trailer. I think it was, like, completely different than result. Mm. Um, and so I was like, okay. And I was, I was actually, I don't tell this people, I was actually a production assistant at this commercial company called Sap. I was not doing any art. And so what happened was I, I had a dry spell like after graduating, working on a year in a game, and then I didn't have a job and I was making most of my money selling artwork at WonderCon, doing art fairs and night fairs and all that stuff and mm -hmm. selling prints. And then, so I came across this job as a production assistant. I was like, what do I have to lose? So I applied and forgot about it. Three months later, I get an email from the Breakthrough Films and the producer is like, hi, Tiffany, this is Magda. I would like, yeah, we would like you to come test for this film. And silly me, I was like, oh yeah, but I can just test in LA, right? Like, I don't know why I thought mm -hmm. I could just like, I was like, I can set up my own glass like animation and can I just paint a frame for you? Like, no, you need to come to Poland. And I was like, okay and so I remember telling my parents and they're like oh my gosh it's a scam you know like parents are like no you shouldn't go it's a how do you know this is a scam or not I'm like no no I think I researched the the director Hugh Welchman and he was actually a, a director of an Oscar-winning short before I think I think it's legit and they're like no 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 and I was like but I'm I don't listen no it's just me so I was like I'm still going anyways um 
And then, and, and, and so I was actually also supposed to teach my first plein air class at Society of Illustrators LA. Mm -hmm. I had to find a, um, a substitute in two weeks, which became one of my best friends, Corey. And then I flew off to Poland. And then I remember, you know, I was like, this shouldn't be too bad. Like, I had no idea what I was going to spell. I was like, this shouldn't be too bad. I studied animation. I know the basics of animation. A lot of the people that are testing were like more fine artists, right? So like understanding timing and all that stuff could be something new. Um, and so, and so I was like, I, I get this, I think. And I went there and we, they're like, it was like six people per testing. So they're flying in a lot of people. And I just remember the head painting director was like, Here's a program we use, it's drag and frame. Here's some papers and some shortcuts for you to know. You mix your paints over there. You can find brushes over there, good luck. And I was like, <laughs> what, that's it? And so like, we had to figure out how to mix our own colors. So like color theory comes in play. They don't tell you this is the formula for mixing Armin's yellow sweater. It's like, you figure it out on your own. So part of that is figuring out. And on top of that, you cannot start animating until you get approved for your first frame. Mm -hmm. So like the director has to come in and be like, that's a good first frame. Now you can swipe it off and start animating and painting the next frame. So the, that, those three days, I remember, I, I called my parents on the first day and I was like, mom, dad, I, I'm not gonna make it. Like, this is way harder than I thought. Um, you see, I actually, I'm actually pretty pessimistic to be honest. Like I, I'm, 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 I'm like, I am, I, I think I'm a paradox. Like I'm optimistic, but I'm also really pessimistic. So I really thought I wouldn't make it on the first day. I, I, I remember calling them on a bus stop. Like it was so hard. I, I can't, I, I can't believe I even, I didn't eat at all. I just kept painting. And then the director still said my first frame looked too academic. And so I had to start over and I was like, I'm behind now. And so I was playing catch up for the next two days in the painting test. Mm -hmm. Cause you had to animate like a minimum of four frames or something. And I wanted to see four to six frames. And then somehow they literally just, you know, this is Europe, right? No, no sugar coning. They call everyone in. They're like, thank you for all of you who tested. Um, you guys were a really strong group. Um, unfortunate, uh, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, everyone made it except for you. And they point at this girl from Serbia and they're like, sorry, you, you know, you did good, but you just weren't as good as the other people. That's it. And she, and she's like, you have to pack your bags and go. That's literally how it was. Oh, and you know, coming from America, it's like, you know, they, they're, they're very, you know, caring that, you know, you're feeling, I was like, what, that's how they tell you rejection. I was like, damn, I felt bad for that girl. Like we couldn't even look at her. We're just like, oh, happy we made it, but but okay, and and I was just like this feeling of like what I I made it onto this film. Like I had put, I bought a one way ticket, and so if and and so my my mindset was, um, if I didn't make it, at least I would have explored Poland for one week because mm -hmm. I was actually going out and doing a lot of painting as well. And so I was like, you know, either way, it's a good experience. Um, and, and and just to uh, just about that selection process, was it like a paid selection? That I mean, were they? funding your stay over there how was that like or, no okay um wait were they i can't remember no 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 so i had found an airbnb i think mm -hmm. and, and so they were really nice enough to know i was like i'm staying here three days um and i don't know if i'm gonna make it or not i can't remember if i booked three days or a week but then they actually let me stay i stayed at their other location but then because i ended up staying a little bit more they let me move into their actual home. So they're really nice Airbnb hosts. Mm -hmm. And one of, you know, I made friends with them and gave them a painting um, to thank them. But no, they didn't pay for your stay coming for testing. But then when you're going through training, so you're not completely in yet, then you have to do two weeks of training. Mm -hmm. And that's when they see what character you would best work on, you know, 
Gachet or Armand or Margaret or something. And, and, and sometimes people still get sent home when they realize that they're not maybe up to par for the actual production. And, and the competition was kind of, you could see people kind of sizing you up. They'd be like, they'd be like yeah, it's scary. Like, you know, like, like, you know, some people have been kicked out and like try to instill fear in you. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of drama I won't go into. Girls are weird there sometimes, but um, you, you get a lot of girl drama there, but that was like later on when you join production, so <laughs> insane. Um, but yeah, training, it was tough too. And so during training, they provide you, they, they put you in a hostel or mm -hmm. like a large house. And that's when you live with all the artists and you get to know them. So we're like training and then we come home and drink wine together. It was really fun. You know, like it's really nice. And, and then, and they work hard, play hard kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so they paid for that. And then after you get on production, you're paying for your own apartment and everything. So like we, luckily we had friends who were nice enough, Polish friends from the studio who were nice enough to help us find an apartment because we don't speak Polish. And so I lived with two other roommates. I was paying an equivalent of $200 a month, I think, for okay. a house, for apartment way bigger than I would ever find in LA. It's super cheap to live there. I had a tiny room, but the kitchen was really big. The living room was really big. And it, I, it worked. It was really cool. So living there was cheaper. And a lot of people asked me how much pay I made. I was basically making equivalent of like a thousand a month. I think it's not a lot. But for living in Poland, it was enough at that time. And and yeah, it was it was like that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, whatever the pay may be, it was like a pretty unique project to work on. And the first of oh, its yeah. kind. So what the trials and tribulations along that journey, I guess. Yeah. And, the, and you know, it was it was definitely trials and tribulations. But I, you know, I, I if, if Disney had offered me something, I would have been like, like knowing how the experience was working on Loving Vincent or some studio that I really wanted to work on. You know, I would be like, no, I think I'm still going to choose loving Vincent just because afterwards I was like I don't know if I can I was like I don't know if I can work on any just production where I'm not connected to the characters and that sounds kind of selfish because like you know as an artist you're you're supposed to just work on something you're put on you know you don't get a personal taste and if you like it or not but I was like I feel like I worked on something so meaningful and I learned so much about Van Gogh and his life it's like I don't know if I can just work on a, like a cartoon that I don't have any connection to just for the sake of getting into the industry or a job. And so that's when I, you know, I, I needed a job to make money. So I worked at the 3D projection studio, but then after a year I was, I was incredibly unhappy. And I was like, I'm sorry, boss, I'm quitting and I'm moving back home. I need to paint. And so that was the next crazy bold move that I made. Um, yeah. Now over the last, like you've mentioned in the last two years, essentially your, growth as an artist has been tremendous like you found more direction in the kind of work that you're doing has there been any part of you teaching other people that's played a role in that oh definitely yeah I think um you know you learn so much from teaching I mean I've had students um you know my mentorships which started in 2019 when I was in Poland I actually lived there because I was engaged now not anymore um but I moved there for six months and um I was like I, I can't find a job here what am I going to do so this had been on my mind and I started the mentorship and now I get students from all around the world from all different levels and that's a challenge for me to be able to teach them you know like uh, someone who's never touched photoshop to someone who's working in the industry I get I get both and to see how they grow to see how they approach a painting it's really inspirational too um and I, yeah so I think teaching is a big part of it I, I, I just that's why I love it I love seeing students grow I love seeing having their aha moments um um, 
and and I think there's it's one of the most rewarding feelings besides like making your own work. Um, so yeah, I really like, I really enjoy it. So are you doing only digital mentorships or is it like gouache painting mentorships as well? I do gouache, yeah. So this year I opened up to digital and gouache. So last year I did just digital because, um, and that kind of goes into feeding my the brand, I guess that you would say, because I think last year it was, 2020 or 2019 2020 was the year I was like how who am I like how do people look at me and I was really thinking of that and I think what the brand I've been trying to build up is that I I use my digital techniques into my gouache painting and my gouache painting into my digital painting and Mm -hmm. I think the one thing that's unique about me that sounds egotistical but that that I that sets me apart per se is that I do both and that um and and I and I try to interweave them together, you know, because they're both really important to me. Um, and and so the first year when I launched my mentorships, it was because I wrote out like a whole lesson plan and everything, or my thesis, and it was like I want to attract. Um, actually, it started from when I would teach gouache workshops. I found that a lot of older people who did like oil painting and stuff before, they were curious about digital painting, but they're mm-hmm. scared to enter in. And then when I would do gua- digital, oh, I didn't really do digital work. So when I'm talking to digital people, they would be like lazy or scared to do gouache painting. They're like, no, I'm so used to mixing. And so I was like, okay, people are interested, but they're scared or something. And so I thought opening my mentorships, my thing was I want to work with people who do digital painting, but are interested in understanding their s- color theory and solidifying their skills through traditional painting and, and learning how to color mix and all that stuff. So that was what I started off with. And so I would get a mixture of people who um, did gouache painting and, and digital painting or people who wanted to focus just on gouache painting and then people who want to focus just on digital painting. And so this year I decided to separate it mm-hmm. and I decided to do digital painting mentorships and gouache painting mentorships. So I do have both this year. Yeah. So I'm curious, how, how are the gouache painting mentorships going to work out? Because I mean, I don't know if the lockdowns are closed or open over there where you're staying. I mean, how are you exactly going to be teaching people how to mix color, for example? Yeah, that's a really good example. Um, so it's it's more, um, it's all online. Mm-hmm. And so basically I give them homework and they paint and do the homework and they take good pictures. And so the thing is that I do do digital paint overs because obviously I'm not, I can't do physical paint overs. I can't mm-hmm. mail their paint over to me. Um, so I do the digital paint overs, but when I explain it, I explain it how I would mix traditionally. Uh-huh. So, um, and, and I think that's another cool part that's really interrelated, right? Even though, you know, like um, Photoshop, you know, you have, I use the, like the color box, you know, I explain to them, for example, if you're, you know, dragging to a more desaturated color, in a sense, it's the same as mixing its complement in gouache. And that's how you would get those neutral grays, for example. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm mixing, I explain it. Um, I think I'm pretty good at breaking it down and explain it how I, I, I explain it like if you're mixing this in gouache, this is a color you would use and this is a color and this is how you'd mix it. And so I break it down like that. And then in terms of demos, I do, you know, Zoom online. I mean, I, I physically paint and they join live and they ask questions along the way. Um, and um, and so, yeah, unfortunately for gouache, the physical aspect is really important, but mm-hmm. that's not an option right now. I would yeah. love to teach physical workshops, I mean, being on location, that was so fun. That was, and I did that in 2019, but, um, you know, for now, I think it's, it's worked. And the last year when I launched the gouache mentorships first in 2019, 
it was really fun. I was, it was like an experiment to see if it would work kind of. And I got five really good students all from different levels. And, um, and, and I thought it was a success. So I was like, okay, now I can do it this year. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I think teaching is quite important. It's, it's always a good way to keep testing what you know and what your core fundamental skill is as well. So it's a good thing. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's interesting. You had mentioned earlier, you were talking about that brand of your art or artist, because mm-hmm. that was a question I had written down earlier in the world of fine art, it's so important to stand out and make your mark, so to speak. Definitely. How does one go about doing that? Because nowadays everything's online and everything's easily accessible. So how does a mm. fine fine artist essentially create their niche or voice, essentially? Mm. Um, it's really so cool that you're asking me more questions about fine art because usually people ask me about, um, well, I'm still learning that. Um, but I think, yeah, like you said, since social media is such a big part of it now, it's almost like inescapable. Mm-hmm. Like I have friends who are like, I don't want social. I'm like, I know I hate it too, but you have to do it. Um, like you have to put your art out there. I'm actually reading a book right now called How to Sell Your Art Online. Mm-hmm. But it's a pretty good book. And it tells you, you know, how you should maximize social media. I personally hate, you know, I'm, I, I don't, it's not like something I would do all day and it's not something I'd rather just be painting but it's an important part of marketing and how you you know showcase your paintings um but I think for me it's consistency I think you know constantly trying to constantly post or um is is a, is a key thing but I also think in growing your brand like you asked I think being transparent and being open about you know what you're struggling with or what you've learned or what you've achieved like people like to see that and so like some people like they only post the glossy like oh this is a finished painting mm-hmm. this is um this you know like this painting after this painting after this painting for me it's like sometimes I like to post like oh this is this is it. And this is what I struggled with. And I think for my audience specifically, like people like to read that I'm, I'm taking a class right now, like an online class about, you know, all that and stuff. And, um, I, I think, I think for me having a story behind the painting, and this is the same for digital, right? Having a story behind, you know, maybe the experience of what you painted it or the story of why you chose to make this gouache painting. People like to read that stuff. And so I think that's a really important part because they're not only buying, your art they're buying like your story and kind of a part of you in it right and so um I've been trying to be better at that and and sort of I think my brand is that well now people say that when they look at my gouache it like they can tell it's me mm-hmm. which, is, which is good um I still don't know how to answer that question and like how I shape that because for me I think I'm always evolving and so I'm like well that's good that you can see that it's me um but at the same time, maybe my style will totally change. And then I don't know, will you still like, um, but I, I think the part that I'm trying to build up is that, um, you know, being transparent and, and I like sharing my thoughts on art, not so much only the art making and like, oh, here's a daily painting a day, but sharing the process behind it. And I, I like to be transparent about that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of my brand. I don't know. I, I'm so unsure. This is so bad. Take this part out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah. a, it's an evolving thing. I mean, it's hard to have a specific answer for this because it's not like we're at the end of the art journey. It's still like many decades, so to speak, to go ahead. So things will obviously evolve and change as you keep doing yeah. more work. So yeah, it's 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 like it's it's 
it's like when you study other artists, like they have, I don't know, like Warhol or something like, you know, they, they had very specific, you know, uh, a look to their painting or some people, they, I look at a lot of digital people's artworks and sometimes I'm like, oh, it starts to look the same. Mm -hmm. Like you see, they only paint like Asian girls or they only paint these kinds of things and, and they, and they're known for that. I, I can't, I personally, I can't. I can't, I don't like to be boxed in that way. And so for me, like it will constantly be evolving, like you said, because because I'm trying to just find something that I haven't found before. Um, anyways, I feel like I'm repeating myself, so I'll stop. No, that's okay. Um, so after working on Loving Vincent, you got an insight into kind of telling a larger story and a larger narrative. Do you plan to take inspiration from that and create something like that of your own? Even if it's not an animation, but maybe in a story form or a book form? Oh, for sure. I'm I'm working on my own book right now, actually. Mm. <laughs> on and off. Um, that is like, I have big goals for that book, but just finding the time, God, it's like so frustrating. And then, and then I tell myself, am I just making an excuse? And maybe I should just not sleep and work constantly? I don't know. But um, yeah, I actually... Uh, I, I, I wrote a poem book and my goal was it to um, be uh, for young readers and adults alike. Mm -hmm. And so I think I started in 2019. That's gone through lots of iterations. I've done storyboards for it. I've done a few concept pieces for it. Um, I've done character designs for it. And my goal is to release it on a Kickstarter. Like a, I want to illustrate it all myself. And my future goal is to work with this animation studio and have it made into a short film or something, like a little animated short film. I love to work with like Tonko House. Like I love, I, I was like mm -hmm. dice. Um, but um, so that's my goal. Um, it's going very slow at the moment because like I'll have spurts where I've worked on it. I, I worked a lot on the writing. So writing is another thing I really enjoy. Um, and it was, it was actually inspired first by me and my ex-fiance because we were doing long distance. And so it started off as that, but now it's evolved into something more where I was re-motivated to work on it because I found a new meaning in it. And so that was really cool. Um, but I had, I worked with Lynn Chen. She helped me do character designs. And, and then recently I did some storyboards for it. And now I just need to do the actual, lay out the book and do the actual illustration. So yeah, that's my, my individual goal that's one of my big things I said that I would release it before I'm 30 and I just don't think that's going to happen because I'm huh. turning 30 in November. but that was my goal for too I'm like I'm going to release this book before I'm 30 and my boyfriend's like do you have to do it you gotta do it I'm like I know but then I have to like I have like you know my mentorships and I have another goal to release like a bunch of video bundles for people to buy in, in case I can't do my mentorship so mm -hmm. I'm really trying to push the realm in all things business and personal and I do find myself stretched a lot it, to, be, to be honest like maybe I come off as really confident and I'm like have it together but sometimes I'm like damn like should I be doing this should I be doing this and so it just really helps to have a more organized schedule but that is my personal goal yes long story short hmm. that's a that's a good point actually like organizing your every single day is quite important how do you go about doing that because even for me personally doing too many things at a time can get tough to manage mm -hmm. what is your yeah. approach like i think for me i read somewhere that like you can i think i got this from a comedian but i think he said something like you can only handle like five things max a day and that stuck to me for some reason. So what I'll do is I'll actually, um, I have like here, well, that's not it, but I'll actually, the day before, the night before, I'll sort of reflect, okay, what is it the top things I wanna hit the next day? And um, I'll write it all down in a sticky note. 
and and then I'll cross it off as the day goes by. I'm not super anal in the fact that I'll write like timestamps. Like I'll be like, this has to be finished because for me, I've noticed with myself that I don't follow those timestamps usually, and a lot of things happen or the time I think it'll take takes a lot longer or something so as long as I write down the main five things I hit and I and I'm and I cross it off that helps me remember so that's that I also have like a google calendar to help me plan out you know like remember dates and stuff um but I think um I I have like a list on my notes that of like longer month goals I want to hit for example it's like okay I want to I want to hit you know record this many tutorials this this by this day and trust me, half the time I don't follow it. Um, like I'm way behind on my schedule right now, by the way. Like I'm, I was like, I was supposed to record three tutorials a day and then that didn't happen at all. And like some, I actually only recorded my first one yesterday in a while. So, um, but I think writing down like a long-term goal, like may, I wanna teach a workshop here. And so here, and then I reach out to people who maybe I wanna teach a workshop with and I plan that ahead. And then I go, um, okay, by this month, I want to have this release and having a rough game plan in your head, but then day by day, I'm like knocking out those daily tasks. I think that helps. And then also being aware that there is room to evolve and change is really important. Yeah, that's a good thing. I mean, goal setting is quite important. A lot of times as artists, we want to just focus on the craft, but doing yeah. these other things is quite important to make sure you're evolving at a good pace as well. I think that's quite important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, pushing yourself. I think, I don't know if you have, you know, that is, but like some, I think some people, they, they take classes just because like they need that deadline. They use those classes as deadlines to push them. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm like, but, I, but I, for me, it's like, no, the growth is what happens in between those classes, right? You can't, you can't like, you know, let yourself go in between classes and then you take sign up and for another class just to use it to push you. So that's something that's, um, really important i think deadlines motivate me to like really get things done yeah so i wanted to touch upon that storytelling and the writing aspect a little bit um so I, I don't know who said this but i think it was an author so what he said was artists spend a lifetime trying to get better at painting but think they can become authors overnight because we almost think that but they think that they can become authors or writers overnight like you essentially oh. you know we think that we can write a story in a night and let's start publishing it. How do you go about, um, let's say, critiquing your own writing? Because as an artist, we know what's good and what's not good in that particular painting. But yeah. to gauge your I, own writing, that's a tougher thing to do, right? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I asked a lot of people to read it. I probably asked like 30 people to read my story. It's gone through tons of iterations. Um, mm -hmm. I think being vulnerable and asking yourself, like, or asking people to look at it, being open to that criticism is really important. Same with art, you know, like sometimes you want to be closed off, like, oh, I'm, I'm shy or nervous. I don't want people to critique it. Um, but I think, I think that's really important for my personal story. It started off as like, I don't know, it was like 14 pages long. And then I showed it to people and they're like, it's good, but it's really long. Who, uh, I talked to my other friend, Mao, who he illustrates for storybooks. He's like, who's your audience? who, you know, figure all that stuff out. And those are stuff I had no idea. You know, like I was like, I'm just writing because I want to write. But then I was like, dang, I have to think about the audience. I have to think about how it's going to live. I'm like, that's true. I do have to think about that if I have a goal to release it. So then I re, 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 uh, reapproached it. And so I first figured out, okay, who is it that I want to write to? 
I didn't even know. Actually, I learned that in storybook writing, like if you are publishing for book, like they have a word count. And then you see those like really like, like books for really young kids, like, Mm -hmm. like Sally ate a dog. Oh, she went, Sally went up a hill. Like there's a word count. And so like, you can't go past. I was like, okay. So then I know I don't, I, I know well, that's if you go with the publisher. So I'm like, maybe I don't want to go with the publisher because mm-hmm. I don't want to have, you know, work out. But what happened was after I talked to him, he was really instrumental in helping shape my story. I actually went back to my whole story and cut it down in half. And it evolved so much. I had more characters in my original one. I had like a hair. So my book is about, um, this, my story is about the first wolf who howled to the moon and the moon was hiding and he, and he was courageous enough to howl to her to get her to show herself again, long story short. Um, and so I had a lot more characters besides the wolf and the moon. I had like a hare, I had a hedgehog, I had a fox who's still, in, who's still there. I had an owl and you know, all the stuff. And then after getting a lot of feedback, they're like, I, it seems really long in the beginning and kind of like too windy. And so I took out a lot of those characters and kept shortening and shortening and shortening it, but trying not to lose the description and the and the vivacity that I had before. And so that took about a year, to be honest. Like I had a lot of people read it and it's sort of like, there's some, sometimes it's, you know, you have to not be too attached to it. Cause I'm like, no, but I like my longer story. It was hard for me to cut it down because I was like, do I really have to cut it down? But I think this is long. But then after reading it to a couple, they're like, I lost interest. Like after the first page or the second, I'm like, okay, something is, there's a problem that I need to shorten it. Um, it's, it was such a process though. Yeah. No, these are great insights because just looking at your Instagram page, there's only certain, so many levels that you can understand, but actually having this conversation, I can get far more, let's say insight into your thought process and mindset. So it's quite interesting to see. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, no, definitely. I know it's, it's only like, it's like a certain facade you see on Instagram, mm. right? Sometimes, you know, that's why, like I said, I like to be more transparent. I don't want to just post like, oh, here's a painting a day, a day, a day. It's like, it's like, I want to, I almost want to connect with my viewers that way more. But yeah, it's good to hear that you are learning more about my thought process. Yeah, absolutely. I know uh, you've been doing quite a lot of experiments on heavy paint as well. Um, yeah. Has the simplicity of the app itself kind of reminded you of the way you paint in gouache because there are quite a lot of similarities in the two. Yeah, so I recently did a talk with Vaughn and and um it was it, I that story itself is just so like I'll always remember the way how I felt, right? Because you know we remember certain emotions. And so I love telling this story, which is what inspired me because I actually started off with Infinite Painter and I, I didn't use a lot of actually painting apps at all before that. But I worked with Infinite Painter on a gig. And, and so that was the app that um, I started off with in terms of painting on my iPad. And I love Infinite Painter because I can, it's almost like Procreate or Photoshop, but slightly different as well. Mm-hmm. And then I remember seeing like heavy paint, like some, some people started posting about it. I was like, what is heavy paint? And then I was like, eh, and I didn't download it. I didn't try it out until a few months later. The first thing I did was like the orange, which is my latest post. Like I did a still life with an orange. Um, and I was having a really bad day that day, by the way. Um, and so I did it, I posted it and it went like super viral. People still post about my oranges. I don't get it. Like people still post about my oranges to this day. They're just two oranges. And, 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 and so I did that. I was like, oh, I kind of like it, but it wasn't enough for me to be like, oh, I'm addicted to this app because I was, because to be honest, there's, I wasn't used to the interface yet. And then I stopped, I did a couple more paintings actually. And then I stopped 
And then I did another painting later on of a quick planner of a tree in my backyard, didn't like it. And I was like, you know, I don't, I just don't think heavy paint's my thing. I was like, and, and I was almost not gonna, you know, I was almost gonna give up on it. And these things are scary to me. Cause it's like, what if you didn't push yourself and then you never knew how you would, much you would like something, you know, mm-hmm. anything. And so, and, and it wasn't until, um, I, it wasn't until recently, I, was it January or like maybe end of December to January where um, I I was um, driving up a lot to visit my boyfriend in Lake Elsinore and there's a lot of beautiful mountains there. And so like maybe while he would skydive or while I was waiting or while I was just driving around by myself or with him, he, he just, he's super patient and just sitting next to me while I paint. So again, I'm like, I want to paint here. And I'm like, he's like, all right, we'll pull over. And he's so patient. And so, and so I, I was almost like conditioning myself. I kept doing like three paintings a day. At one point I was doing like, like, you know, during sunset time where it's changing, I was mm-hmm. doing like four, like three, four back-to-back paintings, um, mm-hmm. just of different, different areas around uh, at the skydive zone. Like there's mountains all around. So I was just like here, 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 looking around, you know, like, like, you know, 360, um, just lots of different inspiration. And then that's when I figured out because before I was so overwhelmed with the interface, I, the whole, like the first 30, 40 minutes of me painting was just remembering what those, like what the shortcuts are. And that was so frustrating for me. I was like, this is interfering my my process. This is frustrating. And so I think when I went to Lake Elsinore, I dialed back and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to use the line tool because Mm -hmm. that's all I can handle. And I remember what L is and I can't remember anything else. So I just use a line tool and I got comfortable with that because that was the same almost as how I do a Photoshop with the marquee tool, except it's even better because you can angle it in any different way. Mm-hmm. And, and I really like the HSV because for me, it is breaking down how I would paint traditionally. I think about hue first, and then I think about, um, so it's like, okay, yellow, red, blue, whatever. And then I think, about, okay, how saturated do I want it to be? And then how light or dark do I want it to be? And I really love that breakdown, which I haven't found in any other app. And so I start out with the line tool, and I remember being like, I love this. I love just working with the line tool. And then I remember at one point I, I was like, what's the F tool? And I was like, oh, Phil, oh, that's actually kind of cool. And I was like, oh, the circle tool. And then I was almost resistant. Like I remember at one point I was like, no, no, no. I have to stick to just a line tool. I'm overcomplicating it. But then I found out, shoot, the fill tool really adds a new dimension to it. And then I was almost like, damn, was I missing out on something before? You know that feeling where you're like, should I stick to the simple way or should I keep exploring? It's almost mm-hmm. like that double-edged sword. Yeah. And so I started playing around with the fill tool, the circle. And so now I'm narrowed down to land, line tool, fill tool, circle tool. And I've grown to love heavy paint because it just challenges a different part of your brain that you can't really get. I think in Photoshop, it's like the interface itself does affect how you approach a painting, right? So it's the fastest way for me now when I go plein air, the fastest way for me to slap down colors. I can just instantly start doing shapes. Infinite Painter as well, because there's a grunge tool. So they're both similar that way. Mm-hmm. But I love those two apps because of that. So I love heavy paint now. Like I'm, I'm a converted, but I I seriously almost like hated it before. Like I was like, I felt like, you know, when you're like walking through like tar or something, like that's how I felt like. I was like fighting the interface and what is this? But you just, but then I learned you just have to push yourself and condition yourself and repetition really does help. Like repetition is the answer. You just have to push through the hump and that's it, you know? And so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a now pretty I'm, good metaphor for art in general. You just got to keep yeah. repeating the process again and again. Exactly. Repeating the process. Yeah. So just about your art in general, I had this question. Um, when you're painting whatever subject it may be, 
um, as opposed to like a very beginner painter, you have this tendency to essentially almost merge shapes where the mountain and the sky is blending into each other or whatever the subject matter may be. How do you, how have you evolved this style? Because it requires quite a lot of control to be able to merge the subject matters that well and still allow them to, yeah, and still allow yeah. them to read well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, grouping and merging shapes is something I love to teach. Um, it's funny, I did a talk with Lip Comarell and I was like, what do you look for when you planar? Um, and because, you know, if you're familiar with the works, like very much shape face and mm -hmm. grouping, he's like, I look for grouping. That's the first thing I'm like, yeah, I, I totally resonate with that. Um, for me, it, I, I, I think first of all, it's because I'm attracted to this sort of impressionistic look where it's like, shh. I don't like it when things are too spelled out. I'm not really attracted to that. I'm um, like photorealism. I love, I love like actually, and my taste has changed a lot too. Like if you asked me five years ago, oh, the, the artists I like now, I probably wouldn't have known how to appreciate them five years ago. But like one of my favorite artists is Bato Dugarzapov, which his stuff, if you look it up, is Russian painter, still alive. And it's just such a beautiful control of value and merging of shapes because he paints a lot in high key, but you have to, you know, you can't spell out everything. Um, his paintings move me just to like another level. And, and when I see his paintings, I see risk taking, I see boldness. And you can see that just translated right through the canvas, like hitting right at you, you know? Um, and so I think being influenced by those painters and and studying that, um, but I think, I think when I look at a painting, I'm automatically look or what is in front of me. I am looking on how to group. You mm -hmm. know, like like for example, the the mountain painting is in a heavy paint, even though it's heavy paint and not gouache. I'm still looking at that bigger cloud shape, and so. Um, technically the process is I have a reference photo in front of me, but I'll actually look at it really small on my screen. So it's actually like a thumbnail okay. and, and that's how I, I, I use it. So I'm not, so that doesn't, that prevents me from not, wait, that doesn't, that prevents me from focusing on detail. So, um, I actually have it zoomed out really small, even when I'm digitally painting, I actually work really small on Photoshop, like most of the time. Or if not, I'm like constantly like zooming in and out. And that really helps me. And in gouache painting, it's equivalent of like squinting. So I'm like constantly squinting and I'm seeing I'm squinting at my painting, um, walking back and forth from my from my camp, from my easel to to see if if things are are reading, you know. Um, and and so for me, it's not so much like, like I don't I think to me it's so important to have a hierarchy in your painting like there's areas of detail you want it to have more contrast and then there's areas where you can let go and i love that sort of dialogue within a painting that play um, of of of, of uh, contrast in a painting so that's how i approach a painting and think of grouping yeah awesome yeah that's a lot of good insight about that because i feel that's that's the that's a good level up when you know that you're reaching that point where you're able to merge shapes and group stuff like that, then you know that you're seeing the subject matter well, as opposed to trying to yeah. define every element in there. Yeah, I, I, I think I think a lot of times people want to like get all the detail. I don't know, maybe that's wrong, but I think most of the time people want to, um, they're attracted to the detail. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of the opposite where I look at something, my eye almost like glazes over the detail. I don't know if that's like training for myself or just how I am. Or maybe because my brain's like, I can't paint that. So I have to find a way to like simplify immediately like buildings and that stuff like, or rocks. I, I really, I used to be really intimidated like painting complex rocks. And now I tell my students, it's like, I, it's like, I, if I think of it as a rock, I'm going to get confused. 
you know, I'm going to start thinking about every crevice, every groove, whatever. And, 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 then, and then it starts looking really mechanical in my painting. But then if I think of it as light and dark shades, which essentially you're merging the shadow and you're merging, the, the, I look at a dance between the dark shades and a dance between the light shades, you know? And then when I start thinking of it that way and forgetting what I know, um, and I think it's a rock and start to see what I see in my brain, it starts to become a lot more lyrical when I paint. And that's the same in digital and gouache painting. You know, digital, if I think too much, like that's a cloud and, 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 and this is what, like the, I'm looking at it as like really abstractly, actually. I really break it down abstractly in my head. Um, and, and that has helped me a lot. Like if I'm painting a tree, I'm not looking at it as a tree. I'm looking at it as a dark shape, maybe with some sky holes in the middle and how I can make those, those shapes and those dance shapes interesting. Um, buildings, it's just, you know, a light and dark shape depending on it's in shadow. Don't worry about windows. It's just, you know, there for, you know, aesthetic and trying to get that, you know, cityscape together. Um, and merging those shapes is really helpful because then it's so easy to be overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So I, I was just thinking about this when we look at your work, there's a clear impre impressionistic style and tone to that. And if we think about the past masters who developed that style, essentially, they went from this journey of trying to paint hyper-realistic and slowly mm -hmm. went into this impressionistic style. Do you ever think about how your style will evolve from this point onwards? Because your starting point now is where they left off essentially, right? Yeah, I definitely, I think that as, as I progress, I think I might just get more and more abstract. I think that's where I've been heading. Like if I look at my work previously, I'm a lot more literal. Um, and lately I've been, well, hmm. yeah, I think like, I think where I see my work in the future is like, you know, like you said, something to 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 stand out in the fine art world, um, especially in the landscape world. I mean, there's a lot of great painters out there, of course, don't get me wrong, but sometimes a lot of them, like they, it's, it's almost like, it's kind of the same. Sometimes it's like, you know, you, you paint the mountains, you paint the sea, you paint, and they all start kind of maybe kind of looking the same. And I'm constantly thinking, how can I stand myself out? Um, and I think, I think for me, I, I, I can see myself definitely veering more towards the abstract, like something towards Bato du Garzapov, where I'm really pushing the realm of like different key, different value keys and just different ways to play with edges. Like that's where I definitely want to explore too. And I know that's something that is not mainstream. You know, a lot of people love those stereo, the, 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 not stereotype, but the, the quintessential, you know, landscape and the beauty, the, the wide shot. I'm actually more interested in like focusing on certain areas of things versus like a um, wide shot. It was funny when I went on the trip, like, you know, obviously there's lots of different like hills and really beautiful. And I would always find myself zooming in on a certain area. Like it might be a bush. It might be like a specific. And my boyfriend was like, like, why don't I ever do wide shot? Like, like the coastline, like the whole, I'm like, I'm not interested in that. Like, I'm just not attracted to that. Like I like to zoom up on the way the light hits a rock in a certain way or, or the, the way the, the trees are, are, you know, even tree trunks I find beautiful. One time in one of my favorite paintings I did in Poland was these three birches and the way the light was subtly hitting them but they're barely standing out against the background it was like a beautiful purple haze. Like that was beautiful to me. I just did, and and I just did a painting of three tree trunks and I and I really enjoyed the whole process. Um, so I, I could see my, my stuff going to that. And I know probably it's not gonna be appealing to you know mainstream you know, audience, like they might be looking, but I, you know, I think 
being true to your voice is always more important than, you know, sort of in a sense being a slave to what people like to see or expect to see from you. And, and I'm, you know, I'm a big proponent of that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited, I guess, to see how, well, I don't know, but I have kind of idea in that. Yeah. That, that's an interesting point where, especially as you become more social media famous, people expect a certain kind of style of work that they've come yeah, to see. Exactly. And yeah, they balancing start- that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I think it was just last year, 2020, I went from under 10K, I had like 8K in the beginning, or maybe 7K in the beginning. Yeah. And then now, you know, it's it's grown a lot. I'm almost at 14 or 14 something. And so, like, that was something I didn't expect to. And that was, like I mentioned before, in 2019, I was sowing the seeds and I was, you know, reaching out to a lot of people. And then now I kind of see the fruits of it where, you know, like, I, I, I things are starting to grow and I hope that will continue. Um, at the same time, I always consider myself like an underdog because if things grow, I think a lot more slower for me than like some other people I see and you can't help but compare yourself, but it's not something that I really worry too much about. I think as long as you keep doing your own thing, you can't go down, right? You are or with, 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 with consistency and, 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 trend, and honesty. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, that's something interesting. Like, you know, they're probably going to expect a certain a certain thing and there's things I won't ever stop on like you know gouache painting I won't stop or digital painting exploring that if my style changes I just hope that the audience will recognize that and they'll appreciate that and if not then oh well I don't care to be short and I don't (laughs) to me that's never mattered so much as just searching for something within myself and I'm it's just part of my personality I'm just blunt and I just don't really care about what people I just don't care what people think to be honest so it's just just how I am but it's exciting you know so yeah I think I think we'll see yeah awesome Tiffany I I don't know how much more time you have I don't want to like keep keep you for too long uh they're just this has been really fun you you really ask really good questions I'm really enjoying it actually awesome you got me to think about a lot of things too um so yeah just a couple of more things i wanted to touch upon um as an artist we can spend like an entire lifetime just perfecting gouache or digital painting or any one particular medium how do you go about balancing the two together and do you ever feel like one skill set is becoming stronger than the other one that's such a good question you ask really good questions um that's something i struggle with it's something i constantly like right now I would say I've spent more time digitally. You see, like, cause I was like going out plain air, heavy paint a lot. And my gouache has fallen on the down, down though. Like I, like I said before, it wasn't until two, three days ago, I was like hitting it hard in gouache, not even gouache. I forgot so many of my gouache colors. So stupid. I ended up painting in acrylic. It pissed me off. I was really pissed off during that trip. And I was telling myself, it's okay. It's a learning experience. Next time, you know, for the next trip to be more prepared, but it was, it was such a mess in that way. I wasn't like supplied ready, but it's fine. Um, and it's hard. I, I'll tell you, you know, sometimes I'm like, should I just, gosh, I just pick one and focus and, and stuff. But I would say, don't fight the inclination. Like sometimes I just have more of an inclination to do more digital painting and I'm finding something in that. And then if I constantly tell myself, no, but I need to be doing gouache, I need to be doing gouache. And that might conflict. Whereas if I let myself just explore I know that I can use what I learn in gouache painting like I've learned stuff in heavy paint I'm like okay like something cool I can apply to gouache um whether it be edge making or edge uh, edge control or um, shape making and stuff um and sometimes I have you know digital dry spells to be honest I haven't painted in photoshop in like I don't know two months it's like been on heavy paint and other things 
and it's just been gouache painting otherwise. So I will have definitely go back and forth. If you see my Instagram, you'll probably see like sometimes I'm more gouache and then sometimes it's more digital. Mm -hmm. um, and I am aware of that. I am aware that I need to, you know, balance. And so I think sometimes after like a couple weeks and, you know, more digital, I'll be like, okay, I need to go back to gouache now and then I'll, and I'll do that. And so I think just being aware is important of, of that, but uh, yeah, like I said, it's hard. It's, it's hard because sometimes you just want to keep going on one thing and, and it's sometimes hard to make that switch. But once you're in it, I will say like, once I'm in knee deep in a gouache painting, like the feeling is so awesome. And then, and then I'll probably forget about digital painting for a little bit and focus on gouache painting. So it's almost like starting thinking about it is harder than actually being in it. Um, and once you're actually in it, like doing the gouache painting or doing the digital painting, it's like you're released and you're free. And I actually learned this from skydiving as well. It was really crazy. So the same feeling in skydiving where the first time I, my boyfriend took me, I was scared out of my mind. Like I was so nervous. He's like, are you sure you want to do this? Because I was like jittering and I was like, I don't know. Like it was so scary. And then, and then, and then when I actually jumped out of the moment, I jumped okay, the moment before you jump out of the plane and you look down, it's freaking scary. It's like, am I actually going to do this? And then when you jump, you don't even have time to think about it. And before you know it, you're like floating in the air and this whole expanse of this beautiful scenery is below you. And it's the best feeling ever really. And, and I was like, and then when I landed, I was like, I want to go again. Like, I was like, I want to go again. It's not for everybody. Some people don't want to go again, but I was like, Oh, like it was so much better than my thoughts of it. You know? And it's the same for art. I think sometimes it's like, oh, I don't think I can, what if it turns out to be a fear? And I, I, I just don't think I'm the skill yet. Just do it. Like that's some, you know, sometimes you just have to do it and then you end up loving it. So that's my motto. Yeah. That's a good point. You mentioned like, don't fight the inclination, whatever you may be leaning yeah. towards. That's a, that's a pretty good point. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think as artists, we all struggle with that. And, and, and um, just like, I tell students, like, it's, it's like, no, don't like, sometimes I think a couple of my art center students are like, I, I just never have done this kind of painting before. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm scared too. And, and I was like, I understand that. But you just gotta do it. That's not an excuse. You just have to do. It. I'm, I'm just like tough love like that. It's like you never know what you can like. Like what I realized one time. Sorry, I'm talking so much. Am I talking too much? No, no, no. I mean, you're the oh, guest, so please go for it. I know, but I'm, I'm. I don't like it when I like I ramble too much. Um, but just like one moment, I realized when I was asking my friend for Corey, um, because he's like the first person I go to when I'm like stuck on a painting, and so I was like, Corey, I'm stuck on this painting. I almost wasn't going to show anyone and and mark that painting, um, kind of put it on the side because I was embarrassed by it. And and I showed him and he gave one piece of advice that changed the whole painting. And from that, I learned you have to show your painting to people because you never know what you can learn from different insight. You cannot, you know, be a hermit about it. And that happened with a couple other paintings where he gave a couple suggestions where, um, like my latest gouache painting, at least I think it's my, no, not my latest, but one studio painting of these mountains I did. Um, it started off as a workshop painting. And I actually, to be honest, I was hating it. The whole time I was doing it as a workshop in December, I was like, this is awful. It actually looked better on the screen than in front of me because the screen was desaturated in the colors. Uh -huh. And in front of me, it was way too saturated. And so I was like, okay, they're seeing a better version. And I was like, and they liked it. They're like, that's amazing. I was like, no, I know in my heart, it's something that it's not what I had in my mind. 
And so after a couple of weeks, I went to it one morning and I was just took a brush and I started painting all over it, destroyed it completely, just changed it. Didn't think twice about it, just started doing it. And I got to a point where I was like, this is good. I like this worth going, but something is still freaking missing. And I was like, what is it? And I was like, and I showed Corey, I took a picture, I was like, something's missing. I know you can show me or tell me, or maybe you can give, he's like, what size brush are you using? And I was like, my typical one inch brush. He's like, no, you need to go bigger. Use a three inch brush. I'm like, I don't have a three inch synthetic brush. He's like, just find any brush. So I ended up using a three inch like bristle brush for oil. And I was just like, like sticking it in my palette and just mixing a three inch brush, like, you know, and, and just doing, and it was magic. And I was like, this is so freeing. And I was like, and I, then I felt like I could dance in the painting. And so those moments were like, oh my gosh. And then I, I couldn't stop painting. I had other things to do. I was like, dang it. I had to like go cook or something. And I was like, no, no, no. I just want to keep painting. And when those moments happen, I forget about everything, drinking water and eating. It's like an addiction. Mm-hmm. And so like, and so it was just those moments. It was like, I realized like sometimes if you don't put yourself out there, you can be missing so much more than if you put yourself out there. And that is, that thought is so eye-opening, but scary to me because it's like, what if I say no to an opportunity and I don't know what I'm missing? Or what if I don't, you know, just push myself like five minutes more and I don't know what the painting can become. And that's enough for me to be like, no, I have to push myself more. And I always have that mindset and model and thing in the back of my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, showing your work to others, I think there's two aspects to it. One is the fear that what they might think about it. And the other is also the ego that comes in where you you think it's already good enough. I don't, why do I need another opinion at all? Right, exactly. You have to have like no ego when you paint. It's like when I paint, it's it's hard sometimes. I I think with certain people, it's like, I... like whatever advice they give me, I'll be like, oh yes, like I will, I, I, I soak it all in. And then with some other people, um, it's funny, like sometimes <laughs> with my boyfriend, he's not an artist, but he'd be like, can you, can you paint like this? And he'll point like to this other person. I'm like, yeah, I could, but why would I want to? I don't want to paint like me, but he doesn't come from an artist background. He's just asking me innocently. And so then I'm like, you don't know anything about art. And I'm like, so condescending, but then I have to tell him like, he's coming from a non-artist, you know, mm-hmm. but can he just genuinely asking? And so at those times, I, I, I realized it's so important to put down your ego and be like, maybe think about you know not not like I I like I want to paint like that person but like understanding the perspective the other person's coming from and I think that is so important to practice you know yeah. um so it's just it's just funny and there's some other people it's, it's like it's like I'll eat up all your advice like because I know because I you know I admire your work and and I just and and I'm stuck right now so it's 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 interesting um I hope he doesn't hear this part <laughs> he, he probably will no no he's amazing um but yeah, anyways, that's just, it's, it's, again, it's going back to that you said, it's really important to let go of your ego. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. So um, just one last question to close the conversation. I, I generally like to end on this point, which is as an artist or as an individual, where do you see the next five to 10 years? What's the trajectory uh, looking like? No, yeah, that's a really good question. Like in terms of art wise? art or just goals in general or I mean because some people that I speak to they prefer not to think about that as well they like to take it at much smaller time slots so I'm just curious what you think about it oh no yeah I for me I'm I'm not an anal planner but I definitely like to have goals like I think goals is a big part of if I didn't have goals I don't think I would be where I am now Mm -hmm. um I think it's important to like 
have goals, but not be like upset at yourself and they're not made, right? And know how to work around them. So yeah, I definitely have thought about that. I think in in, in five years, well, I'll be like 34. Um, I want to have a family, um, probably have kids by then. It's funny how that's the first thing I said and not something art related. That's cool. Um, my business, I would, I would like to, um, I really want to see my, uh, would like to continue my mentorship program. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would love to, um, I think a goal would be to really work at like one of my dream studios, either spa or Tonko house. Like that would be really cool. Um, and so that would be, that would definitely be a cool goal. I would love to, um, definitely publish my book have a Kickstarter. I have, I have a couple ideas for books. I have that book I want to release and I want to release a smaller mini book of my two by two gouache paintings. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm debating whether I also want to release like an educational gouache book. I'm like, a, not a how to, but more of a, um, sharing my thought process more and not just like have art pictures, you know? Um, so definitely want to release one of those books. Um, if not both of them, well, this is five years, right? So I have some time. Um, and I want to, um, if this COVID stuff lifts, a cool thing I want to do is I want to do like a whole trip where I visit all my students or hit the places around um, where they're located. Because for my mentorship, I actually have a lot of students from um, all around the world, like Mm -hmm. Asia, Malaysia, Japan, Korea, and all parts of Europe, like Germany, Portugal, Netherlands, and and actually places that I haven't been to in Europe, because I've been to Europe quite many times. And so I think that's a really fun goal and just make like a huge painting trip. Um, definitely go on more road trips, um, with my boyfriend because those are really fun and just painting. Um, I really want to just somehow really have a solid maximized business where I can travel, paint and teach and really have a streamlined business for that and really have a, um, a solid, I guess, like, uh, uh, social media presence, which has been growing a lot already by, I don't know, by five years by now, you know, um. And I think in terms of my, oh, I definitely want to do bigger oil painting. So that's something, a goal of mine. So doing, going bigger is something that has been a thing, but right now I don't really have my own space right now. And so um, it's been easier doing small. I have so many goals. Like sometimes I get overwhelmed by myself. Like, I'm just like, is this, this is too many. Like if, if I were to really list out anything and be like, I want to teach a workshop with this person or that, or, or that school and or, or here, or here. And, and um so many so many different things but I would think um but I I definitely want to keep teaching I think that would be like a general thing teaching Mm -hmm. traveling and um doing what I love and baking (laughs) (laughs) baking oh you know what my other goal would be it would be it on another world, this would be another world. I would love to learn how to dance and like do contemporary hip hop dancing and open my own. Oh no, this is my goal. If all this stuff lifts, I would love to have a physical art school with a bakery on the side that like sells just different kinds of tiramisu's. Like that is another one. <laughs> I told my dad so many times, like he it, like because I bake a lot for them, mm-hmm. and like that's, that's another hobby that like just took off, like almost an obsession. I was like obsessed with watching Great British Bake Show. And, and so, and my dad's jokes and he's like, you should start your own thing. And I'm like, no, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I have gotten better. I'm definitely not good enough, but like, but like, it'd be so cool if I had like a cafe space where people could come on one side and then have like an art place where I could physically teach 
I actually wrote out a whole business plan for that. And then, and then this happened. So it didn't work out. Um, yeah. Well, that sounds pretty fascinating. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. Combine my love for food and art. That is my overall goal. That would be so cool. Awesome. And then like, yeah. So definitely, and then release my own books. So let's just say that. So online, physical, and food, and and books. That would be and working on a on a really cool uh, feature film. Either my uh, directing my own, I think, would be really cool. I would like to direct my own film. Yeah, become an art director. I think that I don't know if I would enjoy that to be honest, but I think it'd be. I like leading people, but I also have heard from my friends that it's just so many meetings. Like I think I would want to do my own film because I'm just rebellious that way and see how that is um so yeah those are all lofty goals but we'll see how many of them I hit <laughs> that's awesome I mean it's good to have so many goals and you have a lot of things to work towards so yeah that's pretty oh, awesome yeah, yeah. never stop never have something I'm never idle it's just like too many and I'm like oh my god it's too overwhelming sometimes so double-edged sword the lesson learned yeah. yeah well I guess that's it then and yeah this was a pretty fun conversation learned a lot from your process yeah, thanks for Thank coming on. Thank you so much. That was really fun for me too. Ask really good questions that made me think too. I feel kind of bad I didn't ask you any questions, but you were really <laughs> That's asking right. me questions. And then I just talk too much. I feel like I talk too much. So sorry for who's listening and I rambled, but um, it was really fun to share my process and, and talk to you. Yeah, likewise. Great having you, Tiffany. And yeah, good luck for whatever comes ahead. Thank you. You as well. Yeah, so let's keep in touch. And- Thank you.